Another week and yet another conference. This time around, it's Lean Agile Brighton 2023. And me, your host, Ben Maynard, is going to be interviewing some of their best speakers to get their talks in 10. What can you expect from this conference? Well, hot topics that relate to the challenges of modern agility, how leadership needs to change, and how we need to fund products, not projects perhaps. So sit tight, it's going to be almost like you're there with us. Today's episode of the Product Agility Podcast comes with a special gift in association with Aha Slides, your go-to engagement tool for fun, engaging and effective learning and workshop experiences. Whether I am teaching the criticality of a clear and compelling product vision or facilitating a product strategy workshop, Aha Slides always makes it a more elevating and effective experience through its polls, quizzes and brainstorming tools. Discover how Aha Slides can elevate both your in-person or remote experiences by visiting Aha Slides and use the code AHAXPROD, which is also in the show notes, for a whopping 50% off of an annual subscription. This is the first episode of the Productivity Podcast from Lean Agile Brighton 2023, and it is... And I say this, it's getting overused. I don't think of another way of saying it, but I've been really fortunate over the last week to interview people that I've admired for a long time and whose names precede them. Uh, last week at Productized, there were some amazing product people. And today I'm with Daniel uh, Telhurst North. Uh, yes. And uh, previously known as Dan North, but we were just saying actually, no, it's Daniel Telhurst North. And this is a man whose uh, work and reputation precedes him, I think, within the. Uh, I would say the agile domain, but I think it's just, in the, broadly speaking, in the, in the software development and software excellence domain so it's an absolute honor to have you as the first person of our talks in 10 at the lean agile Brighton 2023 and uh, daniel if you could give us an overview of your talk that would be fantastic uh, it's a pleasure to be here <clears throat> excuse me the one thing after your talk is your voice goes <clears throat> so i'm talking well this is a new talk um and it's it's called the most dangerous phrase and it's challenging why we do things so there's a wonderful Grace Hopper quote. She says, the most dangerous phrase you can use is that's the way we've always done it. And it's looking at why, why we do these uh, particularly practices in software development, but it's a much more broad, broadly applicable as well. So in the talk, I unpack a couple of solid principles. Um, so solid being a set of, of, five, of five principles of uh, what's called clean code, uh, single responsibility principle, open close principle. They you know they get quite technical, but a lot of a lot of technical folks kind of hold these things up as canon, and you get like the solid police going around and saying that that's not solid enough and things. And then on the method side, uh, I look at Scrum, and again, you know, people are still selling you know minting new Scrum certifications like it's a you know state of the art thing, and you look at it and it's over thirty years old. And uh, old things aren't necessarily bad, right? Age doesn't necessarily make something bad. It's not about new and shiny. It's whether the, the, the context for that thing is still relevant. And if the context has moved on, then maybe it's time for the thing to move on. So, uh, and then I look at, I contrast that with some other things like uh, theory of constraints, lean operations, Goldratt, Reinertsen, and then things like Linux and Unix, which have been around for you know, many, many decades. And they've aged like fine wine, whereas things like Scrum and Solid, I think, have aged like milk. Um, and so the talk kind of unpacks why that's happened, you know, what made them brilliant at the time, what's changed, um, and therefore maybe what we should do instead. 
and and it also the, the kind of the the payoff if you like the 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 call to action at the end is just to look at your own stuff and look at your own processes tools methods what it is you're doing and and challenge that is it still relevant what was true when we made these decisions if that's still true now brilliant crack on if it isn't let's think about what might be more effective and let's think about kind of you know breaking some old habits i particularly liked your talk well one because it talks about solid and clean code which is something that back in the day 10 15 maybe more years ago it was a big thing and for those listeners that are kind of wondering what on earth all this is if you google clean code and bob martin and solid um you will learn all about this very old and as you were saying perhaps antiquated approach to writing software is a very java specific and the one thing i loved about solid was that if you ever wanted to impress somebody didn't understand technology and you just start uh, use the word the or the phrase the list of substitution principle you're bound to kind of raise a few eyebrows and make sure it very intelligent at a dinner party but i think that's about the most i ever used it the technical side of it i think is, is fascinating because what you're espousing is that there are better ways to or different ways to do things now because things have changed over the last 30 years i think this is when i look at the agile manifesto it was written at a time when the world was very, very different and things have changed and moved forward since then. So in your talk, I think you kind of alluded to some of the things that have changed. But for you, what is the fundamental difference in, in the worlds in which we are operating now between when a lot of these things were written, when Scrum was conceived and when uh, the solid and clean code was like a, a big thing? Like what fundamentally has changed in the world, which means that perhaps in many instances, they're not as favorable as they used to be? I think there's, okay, so there's two parts to this. One is the technology landscape. So has changed beyond any recognition. So in in the 90s, you know, we had big iron, we had long procurement, we had, you know, you had to know two years in advance what your hardware requirements were going to be. And if you got that wrong and suddenly you needed more, uh, that was, you know, that was another year out. Or if you had way more than you needed, it didn't matter, that's sunk cost now. Whereas now, you know, you look at cloud and, and sort of elasticity in that way and all of your CapEx iron costs have now become OPEX kind of basically a utility computing. So you, so you, you take, you, you use compute, you lose, use storage like you use electricity and water. You know, it's all metered and you pay for it as you go, which means you can dial it up and dial it down. But also more importantly, it means you've had almost instant access to it. So rather than having to do lots of planning and knowing stuff and reducing risk in that way, we can now be much more, you know, in the kind of modern product management idea, the kind of sense and respond. We can try some stuff, you know, hypothesize. If it works, do it more. If it doesn't work, it wasn't a big expensive mistake. And then um, on the organization side, actually, this is kind of where agile methods in one form or another over the last couple of decades have had a huge influence on organizations. Mostly now when you go into tech shops, even in big organizations, you mostly get reasonably cross-functional teams. You don't have the DBAs sitting in a cave somewhere, you know, and people sending in requests with, you know, um, and reading the entrails to see whether they can make a change to a table and all of the designers in their hip agency doing that. You've got these very cross-functional teams and the team itself is responsible for building and shipping a thing. So a lot of the processes and methods and ideas and technologies that we had were about managing the limitation that these people were disparate in disparate parts of the building and managing the limitation that the uh, hardware infrastructure was very expensive, very slow moving. And they were brilliant at that. 
You know, there were very, very good point solutions to that problem. If you move it forward now, 30 years, where that's where the landscape is different, what I want now is is the what would be the equivalent answers if those were the exam questions? I was getting flashbacks to the first, I say, product that I built. I know going back 20 years, a post uni kind of as mentioned that like, writing too much PHP when it was good for me. My MySQL, uh, MySQL database. And I think that the, the what I was able to do then and how much effort it took to get that out. I mean, you know, look at the startup we're starting up at the moment. It's much easier. It's much easier to get hold of the, the horsepower you need and I think the people you need. So the technology landscape has moved on. A lot of the things which Agile was espousing are now almost expected in many organizations like cross-functional teams. The one thing you said in your talk, which for me made me smile a lot, was saying that, and let me paraphrase this incorrectly and you can correct me, <laughs> Scrum was great from going from like a an annual release to a release every three months or from a release every six months to release every month or to, to weeks. But now when Scrum is being introduced into organizations, I suppose, particularly kind of very kind of uh, organizations that have got great teams in place and they've got the great technology in place and they're able to release whenever they would like to what scrum is effectively asking them to do is to go from getting something out every few minutes to getting something out every few weeks is that a fair summary of what one of the points you made Uh, pretty much so you know again it's what's it optimizing for it's optimizing for uh getting folks together it's it's a time box based method and there's a bunch of these dsdm is time box based um xp is time box based Mm. they call them iterations and scrum calls them sprints so the thing with the time box if it's small enough, it's a forcing function. Right? So it says, if we're going to have, uh, or initially there were six-week sprints that uh, went back in the early 90s when they introduced it. Six weeks was considered insanely short. There's no way you can do anything in six weeks. And so it forced new behaviors. It forced, um, you, you know, no one said have cross-functional teams. They said ship in six weeks. Right? And if you ship in six weeks, you have to get all those people in the same room. You can't afford to have them different places around the building because it takes too long. No one said have stand-ups. They said have steering. And if you do steering every month, in a six-week sprint, there's not many. There's not much steering. So that then it kind of collapses into, well, let's do it every day for a little bit. And you've just invented the stand-up. So, um, so these methods are – so, so the, the time box is a forcing function. Now, if, as you say, if I can spin up a web page in, you know, in a few hours, if I can deploy that web page to AWS or whatever in, you know, in a few minutes – and then we're still working in two-week, three-week time boxes, I'm artificially handicapping my ability to pivot, to make decisions, to do stuff. Why not do it in the moment? Why not do it every day? So it's about the appropriateness of the tool. Now, at one point, I used to work at ThoughtWorks back in the 2000s, and we had a client pitch, I remember, and, and most of you know, we were up against a few big consultancies, and they were coming out with these huge pitch PowerPoint documents, and we decided we were going to build a thing. We said, look, in the time, let's assume it's going to take us a few weeks to, to put together this pitch document. We don't want to do that. We'll spend the same time building you a demo. And they went, well, that's okay. You know, that's fine. And so um, and we, we worked in half-day sprints or half-day iterations. So in the morning, we'd say, what are we going to get done by lunchtime? At lunchtime, we'd say, what are we going to get done by the end of the day? And we did this over about a week or something. And so a week of that is 10 sprints, right? 10 very short sprints. And we built a product. Right, so we're using the same kind of structure, but we're saying, well, what happens if you turn all the dials up to 11? You know, and what happens, and then what happens eventually is it collapses into you don't have time boxes. What you have is then what they call single piece flow. 
So you work on a thing, get it done, work on the next thing. Stop starting and start finishing, right? And so you don't start a new thing till you ship the last thing. And you just have one thing hurtling through at a time. And suddenly you've got what's called flow, which is you're now obsessing about lead time. How long from, you know, Ben says, I'd like this thing to Ben says, thank you. Because that's that's the only game in town. That's my reputational metric is how soon can I meet Ben's needs? You know, in jobs theory term, how soon can I get the job done? And, and so, so, so that's the model then we're going for. Um, so lost my train of thought now. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, so, so time boxes forcing function, um, works when things are taking too long, when you can move very quickly, what would a different forcing function be? Maybe we could say, right, how soon can I get something in front of a real person and measure it? You know, and then you start getting into like modern product management ideas of like of the build, measure, learn, or you know, fire, aim, ready, and 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 th- this would have been just completely mind blowing twenty years ago to say, right, we're going to ship a half baked thing and put it in front of someone and see what they say. You can't do that. You can't put half baked stuff in front of our users, and so and, and it requires a shifting culture. And so again, we look at the modern context and we say, right, I can build and deploy and have something in front of someone instantly for peanuts. What does my what what does good look like in that context? Because it certainly doesn't look like don't make any significant decisions for two weeks at a time. I wish we could talk for longer. I'm gonna have to check the uh, time on the uh, how long we've been going for. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to begin bring us to an end. But if you've got a couple more minutes. Just because there's a few things. One, thank you for making a Monty Python reference and a Spinal Tap reference all in the space of like 90 minutes. That's really nice. <laughs> a very like, niche, niche part of the audience will also gonna like the turn up to 11. Now, I wonder, like, so if you're in an organization where things are taking years or months to get stuff out, yeah, you look about what we want to optimize for, then forcing the constraint and saying, let's work more, let's get stuff out more quickly, then perhaps they will turn to things like Scrum, perhaps, or some other mechanisms to help them kind of get on that journey. For organizations that are already doing a fantastic job at kind of getting stuff out in front of the customers, then you know, we, I think we are seeing a shift in our overall industry, right, of, get, of software product creation to say, let's make sure that, that, that the chance of that bet paying off are increased. Let's make sure we measure how we know whether or not that bet is paying off. And I think this is where the blend in the worlds of kind of product and agile really pays off. And when I say the worlds of agile particularly, what I wonder is that there's lots of conversation around agile is dead or agile is dying. And these conversations have been around for some time, but it kind of feels at the moment, I know for me, when I look at the number of people out of work in the agile industry, it kind of feels that there is something there. Your talk made me wonder in your opinion is agile dead or is agile dying i i hear this phrase a lot and i think really it's people's frustration that they're trying things that they're told are going to work like scrum like safe these days as well and and they 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 implement it you know by the book and they get the expensive consultants in and the scrum masters and the coaches and the whatever else and what they then have, there's a wonderful um, quote that says, uh, you have a problem, you decide you're going to use regular expressions, now you have two problems. Right? <laughs> you know, you have a slow organization, you decide to implement Scrum, now you have two problems. Right? Is, is that was never the problem. Not having Scrum yet was never the problem. Right? And the consultancies will come in and sell you the thing. Uh, Jerry Weinberg calls it solutioneering. 
right? So you go around hawking your Spotify model, hawking your safe, hawking your less, hawking your whatever the thing is. Uh, and and the, 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 the sleight of hand is convincing the, the exec that the problem they have is not having safe yet, right? Rather than whatever they actually have as a problem. And so my, my, my model is somewhat different is I go in and, and I do this crazy thing, which is I listen. And listening, I try and understand where they're at. And where they're at is usually things take too long or things cost too much or things aren't the quality we want. And what they're really saying, the, the kind of the question behind the question is things take too long. Um, we, want to, we want to make them faster, but we don't want to cut corners. Right? We, don't want to, we don't want to make them faster by, by burning people out. Uh, things are too expensive. We want to cut costs, but we don't want to you know, um, reduce quality. Uh, and um, you know things are poor quality. We want to improve quality, but we don't want to massively increase process and massively increase costs. So there's always a question behind the question. And so you look at that, and I've been adopting a model called VESA, which I've sort of made up. Or at least ESSA, I think, has been around for a while. Yeah, there's a bit of background noise because the uh, I'm say, I, will, I will close the door because yeah. the next talks are starting. So bear with us, listeners. There you go, done. So VESA, so ESSA has been around for a while, um, but it's a bit niche. Um, so VESA, visualize, eliminate, simplify, standardize, automate. So the idea is you've got this, basically, whatever the situation is, whether it's slowness, poor quality, whatever, I make the assumption that people are reasonably smart and they want to do a good job. And they're typically the right people to be there. Someone's hired these people into these roles. So if they can't see the solution, it's usually because the solution is hiding in plain sight. It's not that they're an idiot, you know, it's that they're, they're so close to this thing they can't see it. So visualize is the panning back and looking at what's there. So value stream mapping, like let's look at how the work moves through the system rather than what the people do. Because normally we look at how people, you know, what, what people are doing and, and how busy they are and whatever. Let's model the work flowing through the system. Uh, Wardley mapping is visualize. Um, purpose alignment modeling is visualize. There's loads of tools we can use to visualize the system we're in. And often just by visualizing it, these really smart people who are stuck go, oh man, I've never seen it laid out like that. Of course I know what to do. So then the next thing is eliminate. So look at what we've got and which of this is vestigial, which of this is we've done it because we've always done it. That we could actually, if we just culled it, no one's really going to notice. Then of what's left, we're going to assume what's left is now necessary. Can we simplify it? Can we combine pieces, do things in a different sequence, you know, outsource bits, whatever it is. Can we, how simple can we make this process? Now we've done that work, let's standardize it. Let's make it famous, right? Because otherwise everyone else has to do the same work and it's really tiring. So then we kind of take that out and roadshow it and let people see it. And finally, we automate what we can. And I describe it as it doesn't matter how far along that journey you get, you did good, right? If you just visualize, you did good. If you've managed to eliminate some stuff, brilliant. If you then simplify what's left, you're winning, right? And so on. So VESA is, it's an incremental journey. And wherever, as far as you get, you know, wherever you see the diminishing returns, stop there. And, and this is a model I use again and again and again in all different contexts, whether it's, you know, execs with strategy, whether it's org design, whether it's software architecture, whether it's team dynamics, um, it still all basically comes down to VESA. Visualize first, see what's there. You can't solve what you can't see. And like a surprising amount of the time, just by visualizing. And I don't do the visualizing. I, I coach it. I get the other people, the people involved in it to visualize it for themselves. And they're like, Wow, is this what we do? I've heard that actual phrase. Is this what we do? <laughs> well, it looks like it. You just that's what you just drew. Wow. And it's almost like I'm really embarrassed that this is what we do. <laughs> right. Well, what could you do about that? And, and so it's 
that it's resisting the temptation to go in knowing you've got, you know, thinking you've got the answer. And there's a phrase I learned a long time ago. I don't remember who gave I'd love to be able to credit this, but I don't know who gave it me this. It says, listen like you don't know the answer. Mm. And like listening like you don't know the answer is such a powerful, like superpower, you know? And then most people want to be heard. Most people want to tell you their story. The thing as a consultant is shut up and listen, right? (laughs) And you shut up and listen and suddenly they're telling you the answer. They're not aware they're telling you the answer. And you just play it back to them and they go, that's a really good idea. And I say, yes, you just told it to me. <laughs> like, oh, thank you very much. And, and so, so yeah, so don't go in with a solution. Go in with an open mind. Listen, assume that they do know the answers. They just can't see what they're solving. And start there. And then just kind of work your way forward from there. It's a really powerful engagement model. I think some good tips for life there as well, Dan. Um, that was awesome. Thank you so much for making this time. I know you've got to rush off and uh, you're on a little tour today of a couple of conferences. <laughs> so thank you so much for making this time. If people do want to find out more information about you, I mean, you're not a hard chap to find. Uh, but is LinkedIn a good place or are there other alternatives? Yeah, I mean, since since Twitter became a bin fire, um, I'm still on there. But I, you probably won't find me because the algorithm. Um, I'm Tastapod on there. Tastapod is a made up word that I've had for many years. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. My website's at dannorth.net. I blog there occasionally. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy to track down, and I'd love to hear from people. Awesome. Well, I'll put some contact details into the show notes. Hopefully some people reach out and, and contact you. It's been enlightening, and I, it's, been, it's so nice to finally get to listen to you, right? Because, like, <laughs> one-on-one like this. Because, you know, for me, you are one of the legends right, of the Agile world, and I think one of the few people that are actually doing the right thing by Agile which is talking about the stuff that really makes a difference and not a lot of the crap which has surrounded it for so long. So thank you so much for making this time. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back again shortly with, uh, I believe, Shelby Wilson. Thank you very much.